Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urban Ski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always, and today we are joined by a super savvy marketer and someone I consider a trusted friend, Shane Johnston. Shane is an award-winning product launch specialist and digital marketing expert. He's an international consultant, coach, and speaker for online launches. He understands selling new business ventures or existing services and products. He's the co-founder of Boulder Future and CEO of Boulder Consulting LLC and Business Growth Strategist. He's co-created a handful of fantastic programs such as Boulder Facebook Ads Coaching Academy, Boulder Webinar Academy, and Boulder Video Ads Mastery. He's worked with several Fortune 100 companies, helping pioneer the digitization of customer experiences. This includes investment banking brokerage trading systems, white labeling of electronic banking services, and e-commerce solutions. Now Shane is passionate about bringing Fortune 100 launch and growth strategies to the people he is most passionate about helping, business owners and entrepreneurs. Combining his background in generating six-figure launches and making it look easy, he provides his expertise to bring success to six- and seven-figure product launches. Shane has won many prestigious awards in the fields of sales, business venture launches, business growth, and product development. He's also worked with some of the biggest names I'm very confident many people on this call have heard of. So I've asked him to join us all today so we can learn how to do our launches, paid ads, and digital marketing a little better, plus find out what the big guys and girls are doing. So Shane, thank you so much for joining us, my friend. It's been way too long since we've caught up. How you doing? Hey, Daryl. It's awesome to be here, and uh, hi to all your listeners. <laughs> awesome. So you and I first met down in San Diego at a, like kind of a ad hoc mastermind thing. You guys were, I think, on product launch six. I think it was six, the six six figure product launch. I think that was one of them that you guys have been a part of, and we've done mm-hmm, cool projects yeah. since then. But I don't really know your story behind. I know a little bit of your early story, but can you just share with all of us? Like, did you come from an entrepreneurial family? Did you learn this from your mom and dad? Like, how did you get into marketing and sales even to begin with? Yeah, sure. Well, I'll give you that background, but just I want to talk about that San Diego uh, trip for a second before we go back in time a little bit. Sure. That San Diego trip was probably my second or third big turning point in my life. And the reason being that I went there, I was scared shitless when I went there because, well, first of all, I'd never been to San Diego. It was the hotspot mecca of all the internet marketing gurus. And I had a couple of clients there, but I'd been just working remotely with them. And I made a commitment. I was, one of the guys that I was working with was Nick Unsworth. And I worked with him to launch his product called Life on Fire, which is personal development, marketing, kind of mixed up with the, the entrepreneurial world. And I was having a great time, so I committed to do a three-day event with him where I was a speaker and presenter. And But I said to my partner, Ryan, I said, Ryan, when we go there to talk, we're not going to just stay for that three days because we're just, we're, we were about two months prior to our first big product launch of our own. We always helped other people do product launches. And so I said, we're going to spend like six weeks 
in California. And we're going to tour up and down the coast. We're going to meet all of our clients that we've been working with remotely. We're going to meet some new ones. And when I landed there, I didn't have, my business was in a bit of a struggle point and we were kind of at a growth turning point, I guess you'd say. And I felt like I maybe wasn't worthy of working with some of these people. But once I did this, once I had the courage and pushed past my fear and said, okay, we're going to do this. And I, I, I just remember landing there and I just, I'm just kind of getting like goosebumps just thinking about that. I remember landing in San Diego <laughs> thinking, what in the hell have I done? You know, like, I don't even know if I can afford to stay here for six weeks, <laughs> staying in hotels and Airbnbs and, you know, doing all this kind of thing. But we did it and we presented that session and we had three people sign up with us right away for the beta program of our launch because we wanted to get some case studies. So already we were kind of getting into this flow, this momentum. I was getting excited. We went and we rented a convertible ragtop Mustang. We cruised up the coast to Carlsbad. And one of my mentors was Amy Porterfield. We got to meet her. She introduced us to Pam Hendrickson, who was partners with Mike Keenigs. And all of a sudden, all of these meetings started blossoming all up and down the coast. And so what was really exciting and interesting about that was as we went each step of the way, I would record little videos. I'd be on the beach or be in, you know, in the offices with my kinks and traffic geyser folks. Right. Everywhere I was, I would kind of record just a little video. And this is, you know, before the time when you saw all those Facebook lives appearing in your news. Right, 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 right. And it was a little uncomfortable for me. So, again, I kind of pushed through my fear and said, okay, I'm just going to go on camera. And it, it kind of the way I did it was I just said, it's not really about me, so I don't really care. I just want to help my community. We had a Facebook private group with a bunch of people in it. And I said, I just want to help them to show them, you know, what the, what the possibilities are when you do this, when you push back your, your fears and you just step through it and make things happen. And all of a sudden, this miraculous thing happened. Was all these people started, more people started joining the group, and everyone was kind of cheering us on as we were going. And I suddenly realized, I didn't realize it, I don't think, until after the trip was over. But once we did the product launch and the trip was over, what I realized was that people don't really buy into what you have to sell them. They buy into your story, your journey, and mm. because they want to experience it too. Mm-hmm. And it was just a big turning point, a big learning for me. And so to all the listeners, I'd say if you're sitting back saying, you know, I still have to plan some more stuff to make this happen or I need to do this to make it perfect, just go for it because it's never going to be perfect. Make it happen. Step through your fear. Just do it. Mm, mm, so and, and so we rented a townhouse there to do our product launch, and that's where Daryl and I met. That's where you and I met. We, had, we threw a little party and invited a, invited a few of our friends over. And Daryl, you, I don't know if you were talking to us because you'd seen some of those videos or if somebody introduced No, there was someone that said we should, I should go. Someone, I don't, I think, I, I don't even know who. I want to say Maria Whaling just because she's connecting me with so many people. But somebody was like, hey, there's these guys. They're like 10 minutes from you. You guys all yeah. do the same thing. You need to meet them. Go down there. And I remember showing up and you, you and Ryan were working on your laptops. You guys were getting ready for a webinar, I think happening like in a half hour. And I'm like, hey, I'm here. And you're like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so you sat down. We had never even met. Yeah. We, we was just like a mutual friend or something that introduced yeah. us and said, hey, you guys should meet each other. And so the three of us sat down and you actually helped us 
work through some stuff that we were having trouble with in, in doing our launch. And I don't remember what it was. There was some technical stuff, and then I think there was some copywriting stuff. But we sat down and had a little brainstorm session and just made shit happen, and we didn't even know each other. That's right. Yeah, it was good. It was good. So, yeah. <laughs> and then we had a little party. We had a rooftop balcony, so we or a rooftop uh, patio, so we invited a bunch of people over. And we, I just remember putting on the barbecue this big, giant Atlantic uh, salmon. It was beautiful. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, you know what? Friends, friendships and business partnerships and ideas get formed when people come together like that. I think it's just so important. Yeah. I'm just a huge fan. It's funny what you say about people just wanting to be a part of your journey. It's so funny because that's like – I felt when you said that, I'm like that almost sums up my existence. Like I feel like I've been a coach since I was a kid even when, before I knew what coaching was. Like I just love to like jump in and like cheer the person like past the finish line and you know, and it doesn't matter if they're first or last. It's a, What matters to me is the – you know, it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. Like that's – I don't care. You don't have to be like a multi – you know what I mean? It doesn't have to be a multi-million dollar launch. But if you're like giving it everything you got, I like – I'm in – like I get so jazzed. I'm so into it. It's, it's like the spirit, the spirit of the fight of the, like the drive and, you know, just what are you trying to accomplish? So I'm totally on board with that. That's probably why you and I uh, clicked so well and resonated because we're very much alike in that respect. So I know that was kind of like a, a big side story on the San Diego story, but I think it's important because there's lessons in there and it's really how you and I met. So. Yep. Yep. Oh, and I think it's huge because right off the bat, what I loved, even you talked about, you were afraid of being on camera and you said, I'm just going to push through it anyways. It's not about me. And, you know, and you just, you felt the fear and kept moving anyhow. So there was, there was a couple of big important lessons. One was that, and two, just, I think, again, there's a lot of people that are afraid of even starting and they're afraid of like, but what if I fail? Perfect example, because I know we're going to get into this is I've got a beta program that I've launched, well, not that long ago. And there's a girl in there who wants to get into some form of consulting and she'd worked at like in in bc at an extremely prestigious private school and you know like these are like very wealthy families paying top dollar to have these highly trained you know people take care of their kids and she wants to do kind of her own consulting thing and she had a chance to speak in front of a group and a, a few times i've talked to her about doing it and she's just as like yeah but i'm not like she's she doesn't feel like she's adequate you know what i mean or like i haven't you know i haven't been ordained do you know what i mean like no one's waved that magic wand and told me that I'm good enough to do this for money yet. And I'm like, you don't get it. You've already been doing it. Like you've already been doing it. Um, so I just think that's a really powerful lesson to, for people to understand that it's okay to have flaws and it's okay to not be perfect. I think that for my loyal fans that listen to this show, I'm sure they've heard ups and downs and good calls and not so good calls and whatever. Right. And it's just, it's, uh, it's about building a tribe and it's about the journey. And I think that was a great lesson to share. So yeah, I think that just to add to that point, I think that, you know, just like the standing on the stage part, that is, one of my business coaches a while ago said to me, because I had the same feeling when I was, you know, when I was launching my own product, I said, you know, I just feel like, you know, I'm just not as good as all these other people that I see launching these big products. But, you know, that's what we see. That's our perception. And what he told me is, he said, Shane, you don't have to worry about that because, it doesn't matter that you're you have all the glitz. It doesn't matter that you're you know got the fancy videos and all the things that you see on these huge launches because you have the best thing of all. You have results, and mm. results trump everything else. Yep, yep, yep. Exactly. I always say that. I don't know where I heard it first, but someone's like, "Look, 
If you're like a young single guy and Beyonce or pick a female celebrity is waiting for you naked in a, in a hotel room, you wouldn't care if I gave you the address and crayon on a napkin. You just want the content. You're just like, where am I going? Where? Tell me where I'm going, you know? Like – that's the, it's like the best example. He'd be like, I don't care. It doesn't need to be written with a nice fancy pen. Just give me the goods. And especially in today's day and age, we're now like, I just got a new phone and it records in 4,000. I don't even know what that is. It's like 4K. Like, it's just, I'm like, isn't that insane? I remember back in the internet where like your whole computer was like five gigs or like 10 gigs. Like, oh my God. And now I can like record that in like three minutes on my phone so just with technology yeah so with technology today i mean the playing field in that regard is is almost equal and i in fact maybe you can speak to this but i've heard at least with like instagram ads and stuff like that paid ads on instagram shiny like perfect pictures don't convert as well as like real life real people stuff does apparently no i mean i think that's why originally i think that's why a lot of the younger generation of millennials started moving over to Instagram. Now it's older folks that are jumping on there too, but they moved there because of that. Cause they want more real connections. They want to see people's real lives. They want to, they want to embrace the story and kind of, they're almost in a way, in a sense, living vicariously through somebody else's eyes. Cause we all have that desire, right? right? We all have that curiosity. What would it be like to live life the way that guy was life? Yep. And yep. in a yep. certain sense, it's kind of like the grass is always greener over there, but it's also because we have an innate sense of curiosity, which I think yep. is good. And we learn. And we learn through – I mean that's why storytelling was how we imparted lessons. And like we, before we wrote things down, we told stories. That's how we biologically trained ourselves to pass on our culture, our stories, lessons learned. You know, And so I think I, I agree with that a thousand percent. And it's just fascinating. It's interesting. So, mm-hmm. so now how about you? Let's hear your story. How did you even get into the sales and marketing gig? Did you come from an entrepreneurial family? Like how did you get up and going? I guess I kind of learned some of my entrepreneurial spirit from my parents, but my parents were, they did not own their own businesses themselves, but they were entrepreneurial in what they did. My dad had many different careers. And the one thing that I think I learned from both my mom and dad was that change is not a bad thing. So if you find yourself doing something that's not working for you, it's not making you happy, then make the change, even if it's a drastic change, and move to something that will make you happy. And when you do it, make sure you bring it all. Make sure you do the best of the best of the best. My dad had a saying that if something's worth doing, then do it very well. If it's not worth doing, then what the hell are you doing? You know, change it. Do something else. So I, I was given that entrepreneurial kind of spirit. I think that the entre- in the entrepreneurial world, it's more about mindset than it is about skill set. And that's something that I, you know, Larry was deeply embedded as I grew up. But in terms of my background, I, I went to college. I did the, you know, the, the normal thing, I guess, in quote, air quotes, that people do. I went to college, uh, got a degree in uh, computer science and electronics. And I went into the world of programming PBXs, believe it or not. And that's back in the days when here in Canada, Bell Canada became unregulated and you could build, you could put your own telephone switches into businesses. And I, that's what I did when I first started out programming those switches. And then as networks evolved, I started learning about designing networks. And then I became a consultant for one of the big six consulting, business consulting firms called Kinsey, which was owned by EDS, Electronic Data Systems the Ross Perot company, I consulted to mainly to investment banks, brokerages, and banks in the financial sector on just, you know, integrating technology, 
whether it be software to make it faster for them to deliver quotes to people who wanted to invest in you know, their investment vehicles or even in the infrastructure that went in place. And then I went to work for GE Capital uh, under the reign of Jack Welch. So I worked there during the time when he was CEO. And probably, I'd say, one of the biggest life lessons I learned there, and it, I carried it over into the business entrepreneurial world when I started my first business about 15 years ago. And what happened there was I had this idea, this concept that I wanted to have GE invest in. And I needed about, I don't know, 10 or $12 million to invest in this idea that I had. You know, so even though I was working for a company, it was still an entrepreneurial world because you could take ideas forward to the board and get approval. So I had worked on this business case for probably close to eight months, not just me, but I had a team assembled. I had financial guys crunching all the numbers. And so the concept was GE was a company back then that had all these disparate groups, uh, businesses. So we had like a leasing and financing group. We had a technology group that did all the integration work. We had a software group that programmed all the software. But each one was disparate in itself, and each one had its own VP, and they kind of did their own thing. And I said, like, we have so much power right here at our fingertips, but we haven't put it all together and molded it. So what if I was to go to a client and say, you know what, we could take all of what you have here and boil it into one thing. So we could take your desktop PC, we could take your network that's connecting all of your offices, we could take your software that you're loading onto this and put everything into a pot. And then I used the finance team, which G Capital was, was famous for back then. And I said, okay, if we do all of this, can you boil that all into your numbers and allow me to have a price per seat, a price per head? that I could give to a CEO or a CFO in a business because that's what they want. It's the infrastructure that they're using to run their businesses is, is a cost. It's an expense to them. So what do they want? They want predictability. They want to know if I increase my company by 2,000 people, what is that going to cost in that infrastructure? So that gave them the one thing that I knew that they needed, which was best-in-class infrastructure that was operating efficiently, 724 monitoring at a, you know, it was like, it was like NASA. They had all we had all the panels set up. And we had people 724 watching those panels to see what kind of nodes were going down and what wasn't working. So we just took all took all of this, molded it into this one dumping pot, gave them a price per port. And my first test client said, "We love it. If you can build this, we'll buy it." So all I had was kind of a letter of intent saying, "If you build it, we will come." So I took this whole business case, which was I don't know, it was probably over a hundred pages. It was huge. My, I didn't get to go to see Jack Welch and his team, but my CFO did. And he took my business case forward. He said, Shane, we can't take this whole business case. The management team is never going to read this. So we need to boil this down to like a few pages. So I think it took me a couple of weeks with the team and we boiled it down to five or six pages. He took it down to present to them a day before. And the day before he worked with the CFO down there on Jack's team, they boiled that down into a single page. And by the time it got to the management committee meeting, it was two lines on his agenda in the meeting and a little spreadsheet chart, just a little mini table on the agenda. And it basically just said, here's the projection of revenue that we think we can make. Here's how much it's going to cost to do it. Here's the return on investment. And here's how much time it's going to take to make that return on investment. And I remember to this day, what happened, that was kind of a long lead up, but here's the important lesson. Jack Welch said to the CFO, he said, get this guy Johnson on the line. So he called me on my cell phone. I'm in my car. 
driving along, and he says, Jack wants to ask you a question. I'm freaking out. Jack also wants to ask me a question. So he says, he says, hey, Shane, he goes, you really feel passionate about this project? And, like, I was, I had been working on this for eight months, so I was, like, out of my mind passionate about it. So he could feel and sense the excitement, I think, in my voice. And he said one thing to me when it was at the end. He said, well, I believe in your excitement. I believe in your passion. I believe you can do this. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you one big bag of money right now at the beginning of the year. And you better fucking well bring us back three big bags of money at the end of the year or you're fired. (laughs) And he said it just like that. And I was like, I was like literally shaking. It was such a, such a surreal moment in time. And I realized again at that moment in time, you know, what in the hell have I done? You know, I said I could do this, and now he's saying he's going to give me all the money. I oh, I never thought in a million years. Like it happened. I guess I wanted yeah. it, but then once I got it, it was like, what? What am I? How am I going to do this? But the good, <laughs> the good news is, I think it took me another two months to finalize that deal. But the deal, that first deal, closed for 120 million dollars. I was a top sales rep of the year. I won, you know, cruise and trips and all kinds of stuff, and. I remember going to the annual sales conference, which was, you know, thousands of people in the audience. And they said, Shane, you got the next greatest idea here. So we want you to present to all sales reps because we want everyone to emulate what you did. So I got to present. And by that time, I had already been working with five or six other sales reps in various regions of the country to help them be able to sell to their clients the same service. And so when I got up there on the stage, I said, look, I'm going to show you guys that I'm serious about growing this business. I'm going to incentivize you and show you that I'm serious about it. I'm going to give a thousand dollar bill to everyone who's even started working with me, even if it hasn't closed. And I called them all up to the stage and gave each of them a thousand dollar bill. And by the time it was done, everyone rushed the stage, put me up on their shoulders and started carrying me out saying, he's the cat, you know, that song, the cash man. Started singing that song. So, I mean, it was just a, such a surreal moment in time, but it was another one of those times where, you know, I just pushed through the fear. Like I just I didn't know if it was gonna if it was gonna make it. I didn't know if it was going to work. I didn't know how I was gonna do it. But what I knew was that we had a good offering. We had a customer who said they wanted it, and we had a fantastic team that could build it. That's awesome. That's awesome. I got goosebumps. I don't know if other people got goosebumps, but that was good. That was great. So what happened? It was awesome. I mean. Crazy. So yeah, that closed. And then I kind of got, I mean, at that point, you know, I'm running around the country, flying all over the country, helping people do these things. And I realized that I just, I had this entrepreneurial spirit in me. I always knew it was there. I always knew I wanted to kind of at some point do something on my own. So I, what I did was I did an interim step and I went to work for a small upstart company that was supposed to IPO. This was back in like the early, early, just after year 2000. So you can imagine what it was like then. There was an implosion at that point in the whole technology world. And I went to work for this upstart company. They were building intrusion detection and security systems that were smart systems for the financial sector. And it was like right up my alley. Went there and spent 18 months there. The whole thing was a bust. They never IPO'd. They basically went bankrupt. And I said, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, like this is just not fun. And, right. you know, as I learned from my, from my dad, when something isn't fun, what do you do? Make a change. So I decided that I was going to do something on my own, much to the surprise of all my peers and coworkers. I decided to open a retail store, 8,000 square feet, where I would design and sell home recreational stuff like swimming pools, hot tubs, you know, rec rooms, 
pool tables, foosball, you name it. It was all home leisure stuff. And everyone said, what are you doing? You've spent all these years working in the consult, the business consulting world for Fortune 100. What are you doing? I said, you know what? For once in my life, I just want to have fun. I want to build my own thing. I want to, you know, meet the people. I want to hear their stories. I want to just salt of the earth, have my fingers in the pie. So I did that. And my first, it was a franchise actually. And, but in the first 60 days, the franchisor pretty much played a shell game, stole a bunch of money, screwed us up with one of the main suppliers of the hot tubs and left. So, and they were my advertising partner. So I had never done, like I'd been in sales, pretty much sales and business development all my life, but I had never done advertising and marketing before. But I'm like, hey, I'm, I've been in sales. I've worked with marketing. It's not that big of a deal. It's easy. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, you can tell where that story is going. So my first year, I was what I like to call every, every advertising media sales rep's wet dream. Because everybody who called me, everybody who walked through my door, who had some mechanism for me to advertise and market, I bought it. And so my first year in business, I think I spent over $300,000 in advertising and marketing and just trying to figure it out. And what I realized at the end of that was I had no clue. I had no idea how to do it. I was trying to emulate other people, creating these cutesy ads and back then. This was 2002, so 2002 to 2005 was kind of the era that I went through another really hard time. It was a struggle. I lost two business partners, one committed fraud. I was doing well on the sales side. I was still hitting record numbers on the sales, but my profitability wasn't great. And one of the reasons was I was spending a crap wad of money, if that's a word, a crap wad of money just trying to test different advertising angles. And miraculously, after about two years of doing this, I lucked out, and I don't even, still to this day, I don't even know how it happened. It was divine intervention or something, but we recognize this back in 2002, 2003, but I had a fax machine back then. And on my fax machine came what I really now recognize as a piece of spam. It was a two-page fax. It stood out on the floor early one morning when I was in my office trying to figure out before the retail store opened, I was trying to figure out all this marketing stuff. And there was a headline. I don't remember the exact head. I wish I'd saved this piece of paper, but I don't remember the exact headline. But the headline was so powerful that it made me take this piece of spam, which I knew somebody was just pushing on me. And I immediately called the number, the 800 number that was on it, and I signed up for a one-day seminar. And it was some, something along the lines of, you know, are you having trouble with your advertising marketing? Well, learn this, learn this 100-year-old technique from this guy who lived 100 years ago and didn't have all the advertising mechanisms at his fingertips and will teach you how to use this secret technique kind of thing. It was something along those lines. So anyway, I thought, right. it seems a little bit hokey, but i got to figure this out. So it's worth a one-day you know, right. investment in time. So I went to this this seminar, which was put on by a company called Monopolize Your Marketplace. Rich Carroll was the guy's name. I'll never forget him. I'm so happy I met him because that day, again, was a pivotal moment in time for me in terms of that advertising. And basically what he taught us, he gave me a book. It was by Claude C. Hopkins called My Life in Advertising. Actually, it was two books. It was My Life in Advertising and Scientific Advertising, both written by Claude C. Hopkins, who died 100 years before I was even born. So you can imagine, I'm thinking, like, what's the relevance of this guy? Like, how could he teach me anything? 
But that book, I took that book home, and I still, to this day, it's just actually a printout. It's not even a book. It's a printout because it's out of uh, copyright circulation. And to this day, it sits on my bookshelf. It's all dog-eared and torn and highlighted. That book was just phenomenal. For anyone who is in the world of writing ads and doing marketing, you want to definitely get that book. That's right. Claude Hopkins like a godfather. Just amazing. But what really resonated with me was in the book, he talked about his technique of putting something out. It was kind of like the theory of reciprocity, but he developed it within a story. So he told a story that resonated with people at a visceral, gut, emotional level. And then at the end, he would say, okay, we'll give you a coupon to try this out. And then once they tried it out, they realized they liked it. And Things kept on going, but what really pulled them in was the story. And the one story that really stuck with me was, I think it was Schlitz Beer at the time, was like the number five or number six brewing company in America. So when we got there, they said, look, you've got to really help us. You know, we're kind of losing the battle with this, with the beer, and we need to get to at least number two, if not number one. So what can you do to help us? And so he said, well, why don't you give me a tour of your operations? I want to see how the beer is made. I want to see the factory. I want to see all the people that work there. And they, and you know, the, the CXO people, level people said, what the heck do you want to see all that for? It's pretty boring. You know, it's just factory yeah, stuff. Yeah, standard. And he said, I just want to understand, you know, I don't know much about beer. I want to understand what your process is. And so they started stepping him through it. And what he started learning was things like, you know, they, they own land in three different places where there was artesian wells that were dug a thousand feet into the ground to tap into the most pure water they possibly could because that was the starting point. If any water had any kind of bacteria or contaminant, then it would ruin the beer. And then they went through and showed them, you know, the the best hops and grains that they used to, you know, invoke the flavor. And the, the yeast that they had was like an ancient, you know, several hundred years old. And they stepped through this whole process and he was amazed. And the reason he was amazed was because he didn't know that the process of brewing beer was so complex and so interesting. Uh-huh. So he said, we, what we need to do here is we need to tell a story. And what he did was he broke it out into several chunks. There was like six or eight excerpts. And so he almost created kind of like a television series where he left them with a cliffhanger on each of the stories that made people want to keep reading. And at the end of each story, he'd give them a little coupon to try out the beer. And he was able to get Schlitz Beer Company to number one over a period of only six months by just telling that story and making an offer through the reciprocity factor. So that story just resonated with me so much because I said, you know, it just makes sense to me because it's inherent to who I am. I want to help somebody first before they want to do business with me. And that makes them feel good. And so when I got back to my business, I said, okay, how can I apply this in my business? So I wasn't really sure. I struggled with that for a bit. And I decided that one week I was going to take the whole week off and I was going to get in my truck and drive around to all my competition. And at this time, you got to recognize back then there was over 200 different manufacturers of hot tubs alone, let alone how many pools there were. And uh-huh. the number of brokerages and branches that were opening up that sold them were, was even more. So I had a huge amount of competition. And the trend, like what was happening back then, was people were going to buy. The sales cycle was going so long and that it was stalling because it's an expensive piece of, you know, a hot tub could cost 10, 15, 20,000, 30,000 dollars. 
and pools could be up to 100,000. So the sales cycle was already long. But the problem was with all these different manufacturers and branches in place, they were confusing people because everyone had their own little you know, sales story of the features and why their stuff was best. And don't use that one because those guys do this yeah. and that won't work. And so they were confusing people to the point that they just said, I'm not going to buy. And so everybody's sales were dwindling because of it. So what I ended up doing was I said, okay, well, I just have to, you know, help people. So what's the best way to help them? The best way to help them is to teach them how to research and buy something that's going to be appropriate for them. So I created kind of like a buyer's guide. I wrote a little ebook, although at the time I didn't know it was called an ebook. And it was probably a dozen pages long. It was, you know, pretty shabbily written and not very good graphics because I just did it myself. And I put a headline in the newspaper. I put an ad in the newspaper with a headline that read something like, hey, have you been shopping for a hot tub? But you haven't been able to buy one because you feel like there's all these weird, dirty, nasty tricks that people are trying to play on you. Kind of like timeshare sales reps. And I apologize if there's any timeshare sales reps on here, but that's the way that it was like back then. Yeah, they're notorious for the high-pressure sales. Yeah, Yeah, and they would trick you into buying. And so the one thing that I realized when I went and shopped on the competition was, and not all of them were like this, but a good majority of them were, they would – Play all these tricks, these nasty tricks to trick people into buying right then and there. You know, scarcity tactics, but not real scarcity, unfair scarcity tactics. So they and they so they would do. I'll give you one example. They would say, you know, there's no sales tax, but you have to buy this weekend because at the end of the weekend that promo was over. Well, the truth of the matter is there is no sales tax on a hot tub because it's considered fixed property. So it's just like as if you mm. hired somebody to come and build a kitchen in your house you don't pay the sales tax on that and so but they were tricking those kind of things so i just wrote this book that said here's what you really need to look for here's what's important and i wrote it from the perspective of the buyer not from the perspective of any one manufacturer and put it into this uh, ad and and at the time on my website it didn't even have an opt-in form or anything but there just wasn't such a thing back then i went to my web developer and i said hey can you put a little form on here where people can put their email and then it just automatically sends them my little ebook. And he said, Oh, I don't know. Let me check that out. He came back and said, yeah, I can do it. It's going to cost $5,000. So anyway, to put an opt-in form, you you know what it takes today to put an opt-in form on your website. So you can see, you got an opt-in form. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, I don't think I want to pay $5,000 just to have this automated. So I literally, I created, depending on which publication the ad went into, I created a different email address for each publication so that I could track it. And Mm. I started putting these ads out, and all of a sudden the response was crazy. And people started sending me emails saying, hey, can I get this book? And I'm manually replying to it, and then I had my admin system doing it, and it got out of hand. And before I knew it, all of a sudden, people were walking into my store asking for me. And as I walked over, I don't didn't know who this person is literally on several occasions people would put their arm around me like I was their best friend and say Shane I just like really appreciate what you did here and I'm like what and they'd pull out of their pocket this old this torn ripped up you know highlighted and written on ebook that they printed out to help them come to a decision on what to buy and then inevitably what they would end up doing is they would come back to the person who would help them and so all of a sudden my my sales skyrocketed and from there, I started doing things with the website. That, so basically anywhere in the city of Toronto, the greater Toronto area, the GTA, whenever somebody would Google search for buying a hot tub or a pool, guess who came up number one? Shane, Shane's business. 
I had all of the links coming to me now. I had all the newspapers, all the different media that I had spent all this money with. They were all giving link backs to me. And then they would come to me and say, hey, can you do an interview for the newspaper on you know, backyard design or something? Well, I, was, I wasn't a landscaper or backyard designer, but people listened to me because I was talking about the trends and things that you, know, you should do in backyard design and home recreational design. And before I knew it, the local cable company came to with a camera, showed up, and they interviewed me. And I was getting all this free publicity. And I boil it all back to reading uh, Quotesy Hopkins and my life in advertising and creating stories and helping people first. And then they'll naturally just come back to you. That's so awesome. That's so awesome. That's so awesome. And I love that, too, because you were helping them. And, and to be clear, you weren't. Here's I want to the reason why I'm I'm even saying that we need to make a differentiation is because a lot of people think that teaching is going to make their sales for them but it's not but you made a buying tool for people that made it easier for them to buy so they naturally wanted to come buy from you cuz you gained their trust and everything so I think that's I think that's just brilliant that's so brilliant and so well done and it's and you're just serving the people like you really just have their you know their 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 I don't know why I'm fumbling on words here, but you have their best interests. There we go. You have their best interests at hearts. Why? Why wouldn't when someone people was nobody was no one under, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care, you know. And I think yeah, that's, that's powerful. So how, what got true. you into online marketing? Well, so what happened next was I kind of took it a little level deeper, and I said, okay, how can I do what Claude C. Hawkins did and kind of create some stories? And so what happened was in the in the off season when we weren't doing pools and hot tubs because it gets pretty cold here in the Toronto area in the winter, and so the sales go down. I said, okay, well I need to even out the sales. And so what a lot of dealers would do is they would just sell pool tables and home home recreation like you know in your basement kind of stuff, foosball tables, you know that kind of stuff, darts. So I started selling this, but I was really big on my KPIs, my key performance indicators and metrics. So I struggled with that also for a little bit in terms of, you know, how do I measure what products are good? And I think I ended up going, to, I went to some seminar for this too. Learning is, I mean, going to seminars and meeting people and learning is like a, just a key fundamental to being an entrepreneur. But I learned about in terms of retail, one of the important factors to measure is profit per square foot. And so I created a bunch of spreadsheets and started monitoring and managing what my profit per square foot was in the retail store by product category. So I had one for the hot tubs, one for the pools, one for the pool tables, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And what I realized was that more than 50% of the products I had on my floor were not really strategic. They weren't, they weren't producing the profit per square foot to really warrant them being on the floor. So in my mind, I said, well, why wouldn't I just cut my store in half and just not sell those products? So I looked at them and said, okay, well, some of the products really kind of lost leaders and they're lead-ins to buy the bigger ones, so I'll keep those. But these pool tables, they're a big, they're a big thing. They take up a lot of floor space, and we're only selling a handful of them in during the winter months just to kind of pay the rent. But if I'm going to have something on my floor, then it better be giving me at least as much profit per square foot as the other things. So how can I do that? So I had already been to the manufacturer called Colin Pool Tables down in uh, Tucson, Arizona, a couple of times with a group of people. But I decided to go back this time on my own and really kind of get into talking to the people who ran the company. So when I got there, the CEO invited me in. We had a little meeting and did the nicey-nicey stuff. And then I said, hey, can you do me a favor? Can you just give me a tour of the operations? I want to see the manufacturing plan. I want to see how these 
you know, I want to see from the time the wood comes in, how do, how do your guys make these pool tables? And he looked at me kind of, and so the same kind of thing, I'm paralleling this. Yeah. I learned that from Flipsy yeah. Hopkins, so <laughs> I'm going to try this and see how it works. So they're like, okay, it's just a bunch of sawdust and kind of boring stuff. And, you know, they were in Tucson, Arizona, which is very close to the Mexican border. So they mostly had Mexican laborers working in there. But I went back there, and as I went back there, I started becoming kind of like Coatsy Hopkins did with the brewing. I became mesmerized with how these guys were building these pool tables because most of them had worked for this company for 20, 25, 30 years. They were artisans. They were craftsmen. And I was watching them build these tables, and pretty much everything was built by hand except for the rail because it had to be done by the CNC machine to make it precise but everything else was carved by hand. So what I learned was that these guys were artisans, they were craftsmen, and no two pool tables were exactly alike. So that's the starting of my source. And as we started going through it, I started asking them questions, and I, started, I got a camera and started filming them and listening to their stories of you know, why they do what they do and just really connecting with the salt of the earth again. You know, what is, what is it? Why do you do this? And they... They, most, for most of them, it was a love of working with the wood. So I got to tell their story, but then even deeper still, while I was there, I asked the CEO on each of the pool tables, they have this little metal medallion that gets stamped into the foot of the table on the rail. And it's most pool table manufacturers do that. It's their logo. And so he started telling me about the process that they use to create that medallion, which is the exact same process that the mint uses to make coins. And so I started asking questions about that, learning the story of how they make these medallions. And they're quite beautiful medallions. And I said, what I don't understand is you got the word Connolly, which is the name of the manufacturer, but there's a picture of a church or something in the back. I see two steeples. I said, what's that all about? And he said, oh, that's the San Javier Mission. It was built in, I don't know, the 12th century by Spanish missionaries that came to the New World. If you go see it, it's a beautiful, beautiful church. I said, okay, well, where is it? He said, well, it's down in Nogales, which is right on the Mexican border. So it's only about a half an hour away. I said, well, I want to go see it. Tell me how to get there. So he told me how to get there. I drove there on my own. I walked in, and again, I'm mesmerized. I walk into this church, and I look up, and the, the entire ceiling is all done in murals, kind of like what the Sistine Chapel is, like a mini version of the Sistine Chapel. It was unbelievably surreal. And what I, I spent the whole day there taking pictures, talking to the people that worked there. Wow. And what I, what I learned was that, again, there were several, several families who lived right there on location. And these families were, again, artisans. And their job was to, to redo paintings, create new paintings, and it was a constant evolution of art. And so what I ended up doing was I took stories and photographs that I learned while I was talking to the people in the, in the San Javier Mission, and I went into the gift shop, and started looking, they had these coffee table books that had kind of a story of how it was built. And I, I said, how many of these coffee table books do you have? And they said, oh, I don't know, probably have a couple of cases in the back, maybe 200. I said, I'll take them all. <laughs> huh. And the girl looking at me going, why do you want... They thought you were crazy. Yeah, yeah they're like, what's up with this guy? But this was part of the story. So when I got back to the store, I created this whole aura, this whole story about how these tables are handcrafted and how well they're made and, you know, the solid architecture of them and showed them the videos and the pictures of where they're made and told them the story of the Spanish mission. And the reason that that church was on the logo was because 
It is a work of art that's constantly evolving and changing, as is the pool table. So it got, you know, there's a story yeah. there. And so when the people came in, they could go down this whole phase and they could pick the color of the stain they want, the type of table, the little, you know, the little diamond inlays. You could get abalone or mother of pearl or inlay, you know, both of them. You could pick whatever you wanted there. You could pick the kind of pocket that you wanted and the color that you want. So everything was customized for them. So they felt the story and they felt the experience of having something that was really nice quality. Well, by the time they got through that whole process, they knew the whole story. They had the pictures. They felt connected not only to, to the table, yeah, not only to the table yeah. but to, to me and the story that I brought and told from this little town called Nogales, south of Tucson, Arizona. And so I incorporated that into my, all my advertising, all my operations, everything. I called up the manufacturer that fall and said, send me a hundred of the cool things. And they're like, what? A hundred? Like most of the time, you guys would only sell <laughs> yeah. 20 of them. And so I told this yep. whole story. And by Christmas, we were sold out of all tables and reordering more. And it got so big that the company called me back the following year and they wanted to hire me as their national sales manager to promote the stuff <laughs> down there, which obviously I refused. But it's not that story is not about me it's a story of how this stuff came about and what i ended up doing was i took the pictures of that spanish mission mounted it in a little shadow box and i bought a couple hundred of those little medallions and i embedded the medallion in the shadow box i gave each of them a copy table book and inside the copy table book guess what was there a little, there were three or four referral things. So they could just fill out when they had friends uh, over. Obviously, they're going to tell them the same story about the San, the San Javier mission and how great it was with the experience with working with Shane and his team back at the, the store. And so I got, I got, I, I ended up the following year, I didn't even really have to advertise because I had so many referrals because I gave people a story that they could tell. And to me, that is the most compelling thing, having a story that resonates with people and makes them feel that emotional pull is the most important thing to me. I agree. That, yeah, what, such a great, uh, I feel like my day's like done. Like, <laughs> There's this beautiful story that ended in like, and my business lived happily ever after. Yeah, well, so then, I mean, what ended up happening was all the other dealers started calling and coming and saying, what the heck are you doing? Like, how did you do all this? And so I started telling them, oh, you should kind of read this book from Code C. Hopkins. It's like, you know, 400 pages. And they're like, well, we don't want to learn all that stuff. Can you what? Just- yeah, they're like, no, I w- that's so much work. Yeah, can you just right? do this work? <laughs> and so I ended up, you know, consulting and working with a lot of other people to help them in their, in their advertising and marketing. And I found that I loved it so much. And then by this time, you know, the whole turn of being able to set up autoresponders and CRM and have the options on your site so that you could download this kind of stuff and the rest of everything just kind of like happened at the right moment. The stars were all in alignment. And I said, okay, well, I, I want to do this full time. I started my advertising and marketing consultancy right after that, not too long, probably a year later. That's so awesome. That's such a great, what such a great story. And so, and, and so like so many lessons in there. I certainly hope people have been taking notes 
even just things from like get, like how to like creating a referral program that works, really getting into the the drama and the details of your product or service and why like what's the story that's in there, who are the key players, and translating that to the end buyers because the reality is people don't buy necessarily just from people don't buy from companies they buy from other people you know it depends I mean if there's I mean even with the iPod and the and and all like if you take any sort of like game changing piece of technology it's because it was the story behind it and why like it was so much better and now I mean the the business graveyard is littered with world-class quality products and services that nobody knew about so although we hear about these other products that come through and it's so amazing and people like the quality quality and product really does matter I want to say that first and foremost but the marking the story and getting that out to people is equally as important you know because there you had those pool tables that were amazing products with made with so much tlc but it wasn't until you put the story together and you had the marketing systems behind it that you were like hey i need a hundred and they're like whoa what do you mean a hundred like not ten i mean i could have just talked about the features benefits of those features which is what most people default to and it would have been completely true and it would have been should have been the main reason that they bought it but if there was without the story there wasn't an emotional pull towards it you know, they just didn't remember. It's like, okay, well, you're going to, you know, we used to call it back in the day that when you do a presentation and you just talk about your features and benefits, that's the show up and throw up routine. Nobody wants to hear that. Yeah. They say they want to hear that, but that's not really what they want to no, hear. It's not. So, and I always, I always remember, I don't remember who taught it to me, but I, I just remember this old adage that people will not spend their money with you until they first spent their time with you. And in order to, for them to spend time with you, there has to be some interesting reason for doing that. They don't want to hear about speeds and fees and show up and throw up routine. That's boring. Yeah, right. So boring. So now let's talk about like, so people listen to this and they're probably obviously enthralled with your story. Do you have any recommendations if someone's struggling or, or just starting out? What would you suggest to them if they're like, wow, that's so great, Shane. How do I do that now? Do you have like a process or something that you, you want to encourage people to go through? Or Yeah, so I mean for anyone that's starting out or even some of the you know people that are like multimillionaires, big people that are just trying to create something new, my formula is always the same. Can you hear me okay now? Yeah, yeah, we're perfect. Okay, I just want to make sure. So my formula is always the same. It's just a three-step simple process. The first step is you're going to get results, right? Because – Remember earlier we said results trump everything else. So even if you don't have all the fancy, you know, glossy launch stuff and a beautiful website and all this branding and look perfect, that's okay because results trump everything. So I always tell somebody, you know, what's the number one thing you have done? Even if you're just working one-on-one, what's the number one thing you do to help people and what were the transformational results that they've got? And surprisingly enough, a lot of people can't articulate that. So I say, okay, well, you've got to figure that out. And if you don't have it, then you need to go get it. You know, work something out where you've got, you know, you've got all this worldly experience. You must have some skills where you can help somebody else get a little bit closer to their desired end result. So, and then, and then you just take that transformation and you start making it bigger and bigger. And so the first step is just getting a cornerstone, what I call a cornerstone client or a beta client. Just one person, and you could go, you know, work for free for them just so that you get a good case study around it. But make sure that it's real. Make sure that it's not something you're just copying from somebody else and trying to make yourself look like. It's going to be something that comes viscerally from within your experiences and all the things that you've done. Kind of like what I was telling you the story about this Quincy Hopkins stuff. Like all of that stuff wasn't me, but my experience going through the journey and learning about it and trying to apply it, that is me. And so you've got to take those life 
experiences and get one customer, just one, who you can have a case study with where you got transformational results. Can't be, you know, mediocre, crappy stuff. It has to be something really good and really impressive. Then that's the first phase. Then the second phase is you just expand that. Now you go into, like, kind of, that's kind of the alpha phase where you got one cornerstone client. Now you go into beta and go get yourself, you know, eight, ten, maybe a dozen. So you can expand that just to prove to yourself and everyone else that you can, this, this is repeatable. You can do it for more people. Then when you've got that, now you've got yourself a dozen great, and by the way, for that one, you would still charge for it, but you wouldn't charge them the full amount. So you'd say, you know, we're creating a beta around this. I've got all this stuff. I've helped other people. Here's what it looks like. But since you're going to be the beta initial customers, I'm going to give you a better deal. But in return, I want your input. And hopefully eventually at the end, if you like what you saw, maybe a testimonial and case study. Now you've got a dozen of them. You've got some benchmark. Maybe you've run some ads to acquire those people. Now you go to the next level and you run more ads to get more people. But now you've got 12 case studies. You can even, like, I often will, when I'm doing a larger product launch, I'll go back to those initial beta customers and I'll say, hey, one or two of you just jump on the webinar and just, I don't want you to, like, you know, tell the boring stats. Like, oh, we, you know, we did this product launch and Shane helped us and we hit six figures. That's boring. Nobody wants to hear that. People want to know what's your emotional story? What's the journey that you took? What was the turning point? What was the transformational result you got? Like, tell them that. And so I'll, I'll get one or two that I know, and I usually handpick them because it's people that I know that it's whatever happened there, it changed their life. So, like, for instance, I have this one lady that I helped. She was almost bankrupt. And in six months, we helped turn her around. And now she's doing million, like, literally million-dollar launches now. And it was for a product that she had kind of, like, just sitting on her hard drive collecting digital dust. This lady had worked with the four agreements. Who's that person that wrote that? She worked for, for like 10 years with that person who wrote the four agreements, running all of her events, you know, the live events and the experiential learning that they do when they go to destination retreat locations. Right, right, right. She, she, she had all of the, the processes and the standard operating procedures and the spreadsheets to run profitable destination retreat events. Hmm. I, looked at, I looked at her during one of the consults, and this was like three months into it, and I'm like, what? Yeah. She was trying to be a business coach, trying yeah. to teach people how to do marketing. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is your journey, this is your story, this is what you're passionate about. And I could tell, like, she would be crying every consultation we got on to Skype with. And this particular one, all of a sudden, she got this big, bright smile, and I go, Sherry, this is, like, this is what you have to do. Yeah. I love this stuff. Yeah. And it just, you know, and so when she came onto the webinar when we did a product launch, she was literally crying, but like happy tears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. So that, when people see that, it compels them. They're like, I'll have whatever she's having. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'll have one of those. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's that journey and that emotional feeling of transformation. So when you get to that point, make sure that it's something where you truly have helped people. I think the biggest fallacy right now is in the world of marketing and business coaching and this world that you and I are both in is that there's just so many mm, fake business coaches out there that mm-hmm. learn from another business coach and they're just regurgitating what they told them, but they don't have any life experience on that particular subject themselves. Mm-hmm. And everyone's, but everyone's trying to, you know, they make fancy, pretty websites and they hire somebody to do all the branding and create graphics. So it looks like 
they're good because it looks like they've got all the stuff. Yep. But I call it Kardashian market. Yeah. yeah. Famous. They're not famous for the real stuff. So yeah. in my mind, it all boils down to results. Results trump everything. Mm. So, right. so let's go through your three-step phase again. You said you could go get a beta client, get some transformational results, or look at what you've done where you've had transformational results for someone, and then you kind of build a program around that that you can do kind of at scale, it sounds like, like 5, 10, 15, 20 people plus, and then go get those 15, 20 people, offer to them, you know, offer, charge a little something so there's buy-in from them, but obviously, you, you know, it won't be full price you plan on charging later. And then when you get the results for those people, now you've got this whole tool belt, this or t- toolbox full of all these stories and pull on these stories and ask these people to tell their stories in your marketing, whether it's a webinar, whether it's your ads or on a sales page to just share the stories these people went through and the whole, you know, and, and I guess the, the, the mechanism for their transformation is your product or service. Is that accurate? Exactly. Yeah. And now in that last phase or maybe in a fourth phase, if you will, you could take the results and make sure you've measured all your metrics. Like, so, you know, how much did you spend on advertising? How much did you, you know, how many people came in and bought? What's the return on investment? If you keep track of those metrics, now you have all of the information that you need at your fingertips to go attract affiliates and JV partners. Uh-huh. They all want to know, you know, was your offer tested? Did it work on an audience that's similar to mine? If I did this, am I going to burn out my list or am I going to actually make some income or some profit? Uh-huh, uh-huh, and so now uh-huh. you've got the ability to expand by you know, borrowing from other people's lists and having them join venture with you. And this is something that would work for uh, an existing business, either that's looking to, to kind of juice up their marketing and their skills, whether it's an existing business looking to launch a new product line or service, whether it's a new business looking to launch a new product or service, right? And it works for products or services, correct? I mean, this is something you, you gave us a couple of kind of offline retail models, but this is something that's worked in the online world for coaches and consultants and authors. I mean, it just, it seems to just work in general for any sort of product or service yeah, I mean, is that yeah <laughs> it really doesn't matter if you have a service business that's offline or you have an online you know coaching or training with a membership it doesn't really matter i mean these principles are the same no matter what you do mm-hmm. and you can even fuse online and offline too mm-hmm. i mean i'm mm-hmm. working with a client right now where we're running google ads and google display network we're running search ads in, in google we're running facebook ads uh, instagram ads and so we're running all that traffic and remarketing to it well, guess what? It's one of the best ways, one of the best mechanisms that, mechanisms that we have to get new prospects is this little postcard thing that we deliver right to people's doors, you know, mm. direct, direct mail style. Mm-hmm. And it's giving us great results because of the design and philosophy of how we built it. So I don't really think, you know, online, offline, whatever the mechanism is, Right. Well, at that point, it becomes about traffic. I mean, it sounds like, honestly, if to say your formula another way is to figure out how to do something remarkable for one person and then figure out how to do that remarkable thing at scale, starting with a small group and do it for that small group and make sure you can get those remarkable remarkable results. And then it's just a megaphone for these people's stories that had this remarkable thing happen to them. And so it's not because, you know, people always take what you say about yourself with a grain of salt because you're biased. But what other people say about you, they're more likely to believe. So say share this remarkable story and that's going to help with your conversions of everything. It's going to want, like you said with your friends, like when they go through and see all the medallions and read the story and they see the pool table, they're like, wow. 
wow, I want to be part of that story. I'll take one too, right? Like I, I want that to be my story. I'm in that scenario. I'm looking for a pool table. I want one. Like that just sounds like a cool experience. People love experience. It's like a roller coaster ride. People see people get on it. They get off. They're like, oh my gosh, that ride was crazy. And then it went left. And I was like, oh my God. And it went right. And I was like, oh. And there's all this drama in the story, right? And it, it's attractive and it attracts more customers. And at that point, it sounds like you're just throwing gasoline on a fire. You've, they've already got a fire going and you're throwing gasoline on it by, like we said before, by get by now putting the message in of how amazing these pool tables are in front of thousands of people so you can sell a hundred in a month with when usually they only sell ten, right? And it's again it's doing something remarkable do something remarkable, repeat it at scale, prove you can repeat it at scale, figure out the logistics of that, and then when you've got that down and it's repeatable, get those stories out to the world and test your marketing. Test your marketing, figure out what's working, what's not working, nix the stuff that's not working, anything that brings you a customer at a profit, keep running and just improve upon and do whatever you can. And then what I love that you said at the end is you know the fourth step or fifth step or whatever step that is now is about measuring your metrics because now if you want other people to tell that story if i've i have this podcast and if i have tens of thousands of listeners per month and you want me to tell them about your thing you got to let me know why one i want to know what gets results two i want to know what kind of results i'm going to get if i promote your stuff and so because marketing it becomes consistent claude hopkins had a great quote in that book let the thousands tell you what the millions will do Exactly, I love that. I love that quote too. Yeah, oh, I love that book. That that's a great book, you know. And so that's exactly it. Yeah, it kind of lends itself to like even though all of those scenarios with Quincy Hawkins and then what I did with the pool tables is kind of in the offline world. I mean, when you apply this to the online world, and and I do, and so what I find is something miraculous happens, which I I call it ad lift. I don't know if there's a proper terminology for it, but ad lift to me means if. If my advertising, if I have to pay for traffic and I have to do all the heavy lifting with paid traffic and when I find when, you know, immature marketers or businesses try to set up the traffic and ads, they go for only a direct marketing stuff. So you got to get the lead or you got to get the sale right away. Well, but then you're leaving on the table, you're probably leaving 60, at least 60% of your potential audience who just isn't ready to buy yet or they don't not ready to buy from you or they just don't understand the problem or that you can solve the problem. So you need to educate, entertain, and tell stories to them until such a point that they warm up to buy from you. And so what happens is as they go through that whole story, they start to feel connected to it. And at the end, once they get their transformational result, they want to share. You know, just like people wanted to share my pool table story, people want to share their experience with, you know, their interaction with you, even in the online world. And so they'll, in that, in that world, they'll just share your posts or they'll share your content or they'll share this or that because the, I mean, the main reason is not so much that they I mean, want to help somebody else, although they do. The real inherent reason is they want to be identified with that mm-hmm. themselves. Mm-hmm. They want other people to see them as being smart or being wise or being entertaining because they were able to show them something they didn't know. Yep, yep, yep. I think that's, just so, so important. So, Shane, if everyone's listening to this and they're really vibing with you right now, how do they get in? How do they get on your list? How do they follow you? How do they find out more information? I mean, you've dropped some great wisdom on us, some great tips, held nothing back so far. How do people get in touch? Well, you could send me an email to Shane at boulderfuture.com. That's B O L D E R F U T U R E. 
for the future. Or if you like, I could even give you guys some content if you like. I don't have it set up yet, but we could set a URL. Let's call it olderfuture.com forward slash. What do you want to make it? Whatever you like. It doesn't matter. You can go Daryl, D-A-R-Y-L. There you go. So I'll set that up by tomorrow and be ready for your podcast. And what it will be is kind of like the first step to, you know, if you were to craft an ad that kind of pulled in all of this concept of storytelling and the emotional triggers, but got something that would be able to um, make them click on it because you're pulling on their emotion, but also then following up with the logic and appealing to their intellectual side. I've got a whole two videos that describe the whole process of how to make that happen. And the steps of how to craft it. And then there's a PDF that you just fill out the form and it gives you the basis for which you can write an ad. And the way that I write, this is only one of the methodologies that I use for writing ads, but it's probably one of the most powerful ones. And it gets shared like crazy. And the comments and interaction on this style of an ad are just through the roof. So I'll give that to you guys. It was a mini training that I gave as a bonus for another course, but I'll give it to your, to your listeners for free. Awesome. That's so awesome. So to get that, guys, go to Boulder, B-O-L-D-E-R, future.com forward slash D-A-R-Y-L, or email Shane, S-H-A-N-E, at boulderfuture.com. Shane, I've I've got like, I'm going to have to have you come back because I've got like another 15 questions I want to ask you myself just because I know I've seen the, the high level people you've worked with. I've seen the, you said results definitely trump frivolous talk. And I just, I know you're the real deal. And I, like you said, I think we have a lot in common in certain respects. And so I've already got 10 more questions. I know the listeners are going to love this, but is there anything I should have asked you right now that I didn't get to ask you this interview? We're definitely going to get you to come back for a second one. But right now, this moment, was there anything else you wanted to share or that I didn't get to, I didn't ask you about i'll just give maybe one final parting thought and that is kind of boils back to the way we're educated in our, in our school and education system these days i just feel that we're, we're being taught and trained skill sets when we should be taught and trained how to develop mindset so i'll say that again we're being taught and trained and this isn't just in our education system it kind of overflows into this world of online teaching and training too everybody is looking for the next tool Everybody's looking for the next skill set that's going to make everything pop for them and make the world turn. And what think what it's really about is developing your mental capacity and um, your mindset. Because these things that I talk about when I talked about in the beginning about stepping through your fear, it's one thing to say that. We've all heard that. But it's yet another thing. When you're facing that cliff and you have to jump over to the other side, it's another thing to say, you know, what do you do in that moment? Do you pull out the courage and exercise greatness or do you fall back like a wallflower? And to me, it's all about that mental capacity. And so, Daryl, you and I were talking before we started recording that we have this kind of like a daily habit or a daily ritual, if you will, where we wake up and for the first couple of hours of the day, we don't dive into our business. We don't start working. We work on our mental capacities. We work on our mindset because the mindset our human brains only operate at less than 10% capacity. And so in my mind, if you've got 90% left that you can train it to do better, then you should be working on that. And to me, the great moments in business, the great moments in sport, the great moments in life happen when we spend time working on that and helping each other with our mental mindsets. And one last thing from the one of the books that I really love and I recite to all of my tribe is The Rise of Superman by Stephen Kotler. 
He's an adventure sport, or was an adventure sport writer for magazines, but he's slowly morphed into writing for entrepreneurs and business world. And in his book, The Rise of Superman, he talks about all the different flow triggers to get yourself into that flow where you're feeling, you know, the moment and things are just coming to you naturally and your creativeness at an all-time high, your mental capacity is perfect and everything just seems to be lining up for you. And things are happening and you almost don't even, it's almost, it's so surreal, you almost don't even feel the passage of time. And one of the triggers, it's a great book, you don't have to read about all the triggers, but one of the triggers he talks about is the power of connecting with your social group because the social group empowers you to do more and gives you more ideas. I'm going to read a little quote from it because I think it's powerful around this concept of mental capacity and, and helping each other. He says, more acceleration comes from the social support that the solidarity of a group provides. Finding flow is not easy and finding it repeatedly is tougher still. The struggle phase can drag endlessly on and the urge to give up grows stronger as the lasting memory of your last flow grows dimmer and dimmer. But the collective momentum fights hard against individual inertia. And in any community, when one member is in struggle, another is probably in flow and likely using that state to do something amazing. Amazing energizes. Whether it's the cooperative excitement or the competitive jealousy, one person's triumph becomes another's motivation and that creates the flywheel effect allows the group itself to gain momentum. Mm, mm, love that. Love that. Love that. Love that. It's similar to you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. If you hang out with people oh, and they're in yeah. flow, yeah, they'll pull you into flow, whether it's because you, they're motivating you or you're just competitive. <laughs> you got it bang on right there. That's so awesome. Shane, I value and appreciate our friendship and just the years that we've been, you know, the projects we've done together and the years that we've been able to watch each other grow. And I appreciate you coming and sharing so openly and candidly with everyone on the call today. I know that it is going to change some people's lives. Uh, some people, it'll just be a good, like, eye-opener. Eye and some people, it'll make a huge difference for them. I strongly encourage anyone that's listening, if it resonates with you, to reach out to Shane. Shane at boulderfuture.com or boulderfuture.com forward slash Daryl, D-A-R-Y-L. There's no benefit in me other than just helping out my friend. But again, it's results are the name of the game. And I, I brought him on here because I fully endorse everything Shane does. So again, Shane, thank you so much. I value and appreciate you. And I just thank you for blessing us today. Hey, thank you, Daryl. And I really, truly hope that it's helped your community listeners here. You've reached the end of our interview. Now, first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, what can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better, and your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website, bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. You're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please 
leave us a nice review. It really helps. That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself. And remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.